Welcome to episode 37 of the Running on Ohm podcast with Nicole Bukowski, long-distance runner, yoga teacher, and community organizer. In this episode, Nicole shares her recent experience of running the 2014 Boston Marathon, from her most memorable moment during the race, to how she overcame injury in her training. Nicole describes her background in athletics as a Division I field hockey player for Boston College. She reveals the intersection between yoga and running when marathoning, and what made her want to become a yoga teacher. Nicole discusses her work with youth in Dorchester and developing a yoga, running, and nutrition program for public schools. If you would like to help others find the Running on Own podcast, feel free to leave a review on iTunes. Oh. Welcome, Nicole, to the Running on Own podcast. Thank you. So let's jump in. This year, a few days ago, you ran the Boston Marathon. How is your I body see. feeling now? Uh, right now, I'm feeling, I'm still a little sore. My quads are a little bit sore. Um, I think it's a, people don't realize how much of an unforgiving course it is. There's a lot of, uh, people always talk about heartbreak hill and, you know, focus a lot on the, the uphill, but there's, there's a lot of downgrade too. So it takes, takes a bit to pull your quads. And what was this marathon like? I know this was your 11th Boston. How did it compare to others? There was just a lot more energy out there this year. Um, you could definitely feel the energy, and it was an. Sometimes people think of it as like you know a local Boston race, even though people come from all over the country and all over the world to run it. But you know, it was just kind of anywhere you go or anywhere you went, people just were were talking about Boston, talking about the energy around it, and talking about how resilient people were and that they came together after you know a lot of tragedy that occurred last year. So. I would just say it was, I've always felt that Boston just a, a magical marathon and that it contains a lot of energy, but this year, you know, people really rallied and it was, you know, a lot more about, um, like a community, I would say, you know, it was much more community focused in terms of people wanting to support one another and people, you know, not just focusing on everyone running, but also focusing on the community that got runners to the starting line. Mm. What was the most memorable moment for you in the whole 26.2 miles? The most memorable. Gosh, that's, 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 it's so funny because, I mean, there's, you know, people always say, is it, you know, is it, is it tough to be out there for that long? And, and I feel like it goes by so fast because there's so many parts of, you know, the race I look so forward to. And, and I would just say the most memorable part is, is always all the kids along the course. You know, I can't name, like, one specific pop spot that was more important than another, but I just really get um, – I don't know, almost like careful, but like seeing all those kids out there and how they, you know, really look up to the runners or looking for their family members or looking for friends they know that are running. And it's just nice to see that kids have, um, you know, real-life role models that they can see in person along the course that aren't, you know, on MTV or wearing short little skirts but are actually like real athletes out there doing something that they can visually see. How is your training for this Boston different than other years? a great question. Um, I would say I train a lot different. So, you know, I've been a pretty competitive athlete my whole life, um, not just running, but also playing field hockey and basketball, softball. So I would say I've gotten a lot smarter as an athlete over the years. And I guess what I mean by that is not just focusing so much on putting heavy miles in, which, you know, obviously I do put, put a lot of miles in, but I focus a lot more on, um, you know, bringing in yoga and also bringing in other um, exercise techniques so that I can keep my body healthy because, you know, last year I suffered a pretty significant injury and wasn't able to run. So I've done a lot of learning and a lot of reflecting in terms of bringing in a lot more. And I wouldn't even call it cross-training, but I would call it stuff that people should be doing all the time, um, exercises so that your body is in, 
you know, the best conditions where you can always run. And what specifically is that kind of work that you're doing? I'm sorry, say it one more time. What is that kind of work that you're doing, the other exercises? Sure. So I got trained as a yoga teacher um, three years ago, and when I decided to get trained as a yoga teacher, I was, you know, still running very competitively, and I really can't say that I haven't stopped doing that. But when I decided to get trained, I, you know, had been going to some yoga classes, and sometimes teachers would say, oh, gosh, running is so bad for you, or, you know, kind of look at you a bad way if you were running. And, you know, that's not, no judgment, you know, involved in that whatsoever, but I think sometimes there's this feeling that because runners have injuries or because sometimes they're sore or athletes in general that they're doing something wrong to their body. And, you know, I really wanted to find a way to incorporate exercises where I knew I wasn't doing something wrong, but there was something else I needed to do right. And so the exercises I'm doing are learning how to keep my body integrated in a way so that it's performing optimally, just not when I'm running, but when I'm walking, when I'm, um, you know, doing chores, when I'm driving, when I'm doing anything so that my body is in the correct alignment. So I focus a lot on bringing in specific yoga exercises to do that. And then I recently took a training, um, which is part of my 300-hour teacher training, with Johnny Giuseppe. I don't know if I'm saying his last name correctly. But he's the creator of the Balanced Athlete Curriculum. And the whole purpose of this curriculum is to teach people that just conventional stretching um, really isn't helping us, but that we need to be integrating our, you know, integrating our muscles and in- integrating our body in a way so that whatever dysfunctional movement patterns um, we have, we can eliminate those by really paying attention to how we move. So I've done, you know, a lot of focus on, um, you know, different exercises for my feet, different exercises for for lunging, for um, hip hinging, for just making sure that my body's in the right alignment. And it's helped a lot because last year I had a pretty bad um, plantar plate problem in my left foot, and the foot doctor told me I was going to have to have surgery, and I didn't really like that option, you know, because I didn't want to have to have go through all the wearing a boot for, you know, six months to nine months, and I didn't want to go through all that rehabilitation, and I just really believed that if I focus on exercises to fix my foot and to focus on the placement of my foot at all times when I was walking and to focus on not having my shoes on so much but allowing my feet, my toes to breathe, my toes to spread, that I could fix that problem. And it's been pretty cool. I've really been able to change the placement of my foot over the past year without any type of surgery. That's amazing. That's really yeah. tremendous. Yeah, it's empowering too. You know, empowering, I think, to to know that as athletes – we have a lot more control of our body than we sometimes believe we do. Yes, very much so. Now, backing up a bit, um, talk to me a little bit about what is your athletics background? What drew you to athletics, and was field hockey your first love before running? Yeah, that's a great question, too. Um, so I come from a, a pretty athletic background, pretty athletic family, so I'm actually just thinking of my grandparents right now. Now my grandfather you know, was an amazing basketball player, amazing football player, and then, you know, he instilled that into my dad who played lacrosse and football in college, and then um, my uncle was um, the heptathlon um, state champion in New York for, for many, many years. And so I come from a pretty strong athletic background, and my mom and dad always got us into sports when we were really young. <clears throat> so I started playing, you know, softball and soccer when I was really long, young, and I, you know, I liked those sports, but I wasn't, they weren't my, my favorite, and I started playing basketball and field hockey when I was, I don't know, maybe like fourth or fifth grade, and those were my two loves. So 
So um, I really, really just fell in love with basketball and field hockey. And I played both com- pretty competitively. So I, you know, traveled like around the country with AAU playing basketball. And then uh, field hockey, I, you know, played in middle school, high school, and got a um, almost a full boat to play field hockey at, at Boston College. So that was pretty cool. And I did run when I was younger. So I was actually on um, my first track team with everyone was at Chelmsford, Chelmsford Roadrunners. So I was on their team when I was younger, but um, I think I was putting a few too many miles on my legs when I was too young and obviously probably not realizing the way I was running, right? So now I understand it better. It's pretty cool to think that maybe it wasn't so much the miles as it was the way that I was taking those miles under my feet. And I got a pretty bad stress fracture when I was like 10 years old. So I had to wear a, a walking cast for like a year and... After that, I didn't want to just run, so I um, played more um, more team sports and so field hockey and you know basketball were really where I focused my attention. And when did you return to running as something you were training for? When did you run your first marathon? So I ran my first marathon my senior year in college. So um, I went to Boston College and was playing field hockey there and. You know, even when I first got there, as soon as I got there, you know, we were waiting on the, the Marathon Health pretty much at, at BC's campus. And um, even after field hockey practices, I mean, my teammates would kill me if I was saying this, but I would still, like, go out and run. You know, like, people would be like, what the hell are you doing? But I don't know. I just, I loved the hills, and I, you know, started learning more about the history of the marathon and just seeing people there training. And I don't know, my energy just turned, and I, right away, I loved it. So my, my freshman year, when I watched it, I decided right then and there that I was going to, going to qualify and run my senior year so um <clears throat> so I did so you know field hockey obviously was very very competitive and kept me uh very structured in college and as soon as it ended I I kind of craved that structure that um that playing sports brought for me so field hockey ended in November of gosh 1999 yeah 1999 and then my best friend and I um on my team Lisa Ross Fleming decided that we were going to train for Boston and qualify. So we, oh gosh, like six weeks after field hockey ended, we went out to Walt Disney World and ran the Walt Disney World Marathon and qualified for Boston. So that was that was kind of it, you know, and it was in right then and there, I was like, all right, this is just kind of like the beginning. And, you know, we really didn't know what we were doing at that point to qualify, and we didn't really know what we were doing training-wise, but we had a really, really strong base athletically because we had been playing in Division One sport for so long. So we were able to you know, not really understanding how to train, we still had that athletic base, so we were able to, I mean, I look back and I'm like, it's pretty it's pretty crazy that we were able to do it in like six weeks of training, but, you know, we went out and, and qualified. Wow. Now, what do you see as the intersection between yoga and running? I mean, you just discussed in your yoga teacher training at times feeling like the yoga world wasn't supportive of your running because they saw it as something that would injure or was harsh on your body. But mentally, when you're running a marathon, did you have any yoga moments? Oh, my gosh, so many. <laughs> like, it's so funny because I was just thinking about this morning when I was running outside. And I think there's an incredible connection, um, especially, like, the mind-body connection between, between yoga and running. And I think yoga really teaches you how to be in the moment, right, and how to realize that there's nothing you can do about, you know, a second before and there's really nothing you can do about what's to come. But to really just focus your intention on what's going on in that moment and to realize, I think, the stark difference between pain and, like, maybe an uncomfortable sensation, right? So in, you know, in yoga, sometimes you'll be holding 
a particular pose and maybe your leg shaking or maybe you're getting this like strong sensation. But the sensation is not really pain. It's just like, all right, this is a bit uncomfortable, you know? Mm. Um, and, you know, during those moments in the marathon, there were definitely moments where I'm like, all right, this is, this is uncomfortable, you know? It's uncomfortable when you're going to heartbreak kill or it's uncomfortable when you're at, you know, mile 20 and you're like, all right, I want to break my PR, so I got to, I got to push this pace. And, you know, I definitely knew that I wasn't in pain. You know, I wasn't, my, you know, my ankles weren't hurting, my knees weren't hurting, but it was uncomfortable. And I think it's a really amazing, um, connection to realize in those moments that just, just even just for a moment, like close your eyes, focus on my breathing and just say, all right, I got this, you know, and, and to maybe picture a pose you've been in yoga and realize that, all right, I breathe through that pose and I wasn't keen. I was just, it was uncomfortable. And I think that connection, um, has really, really helped me as an athlete and will continue to help me. Beautiful. Beautiful. And what inspired you to want to become a yoga teacher? Um, so a couple things. Uh, you know, like I said, I have been playing sports for a really, really long time, and I just I knew there was something that was missing, right? Like there was just this, this certain piece that maybe wasn't wasn't missing or was missing, and I didn't really know what it was. <clears throat> and actually a good friend of mine who um, is a marathon runner as well, Beth Coughlin, she took me to a yoga class back in, let's see, I think it was 2010. And when I first went, it actually wasn't because I wanted to become a better runner or anything. It was more I had just built a program for kids in Boston, a sports program, to help more kids play sports um, by having more access to, like, academic support and more access to, like, a, a strong athletic culture. And um, there, was, there was a lot of challenges going through that. And, you know, this program now is in 18 schools in Boston and, and helping thousands of kids to play sports. And I think sometimes there were things that, I couldn't quite understand politically that were happening, and I think sports has a really political nature to it. And I don't know, just some things kind of above me that were going on that just weren't weren't making sense, you know. And I had a hard time kind of understanding how to deal with that. So my friend was, you know, really kind and helpful and took me to a yoga class, and she was like, you know, I think this is what's going to help you. And it was spot on, you know. It was just the the ability to learn that you can't control everything, right? So, and you've got to realize that sometimes you've got to let go of things you can't control. And that is really um, what drew me to yoga was learning how to let go of the things you can't control and just focus on my own reaction to it or my own response to it. Wow, those are really big lessons. How do you transfer that to students in your teaching? Um, so, like, when I'm teaching a class? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question because I think, you know, I, I think it can really relate, for example, to like, say, for example, to Marathon Day. So I think there's a lot of kind of hype around, oh, my gosh, what are the weather conditions going to be like? Or especially this year, you know, kind of wherever you went, if there's someone um, who found out you're running, you're kind of flooded with questions like, well, are you scared? You know, um, where your, where's your family going to be watching the marathon from? Or, you know, people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're running that far. Or what do you do with you know, what do you do if it's 90 degrees again? Or what do you do if it's raining? And I think you get flooded with questions sometimes. And I think that the biggest lesson I try to bring to my classes is to help students to recognize what they are in control of and to recognize the things that are totally outside of their control and why it's not helpful to put our energy into those things, right? So it's like, I'm going to sit there and put all my energy into worrying about whether it's going to be 90 degrees or 2 degrees on Marathon Monday, then... I'm not able to really focus on 
making sure my body's in optimal shape and making sure that I'm prepared for whatever condition comes, you know. And uh, I think it's pretty powerful when you can finally learn to let go of those things because then your energy can really go to, I don't know, whatever's happening in, in every moment. Yeah, very much so, and really being able to be present for every moment. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Now, stepping back a little bit, who in your life has been a big inspiration for you, whether it be a yoga teacher, a runner, a mentor of yours who is non-athletically related? Who do you find is the person that you draw the most amount of inspiration from? Good question. I mean, there's so many um, people who I draw a lot of inspiration from. Um, I mean, there's, you know, so many. But, you know, I would say, oh, gosh, so many. So, first of all, so my... um, my grandmother passed away. My mom's mom passed away this past January. And, I mean, she was an incredible inspiration in my life because um, she, you know, had multiple, multiple falls in her life, and she kept injuring her hips. And, you know, interesting enough, she was like a very fragile woman, not extremely athletic. But for her, for me, like, she totally defined um, the personification of yoga because she never really focused on her body being hurt. She never focused on the fact that in the last two years of her life, she was barely able to see. And instead, she always focused on what can I do to help other people. And she was a big knitter, so she knitted everything and anything. You know, she was constantly, constantly knitting, and she would spend every single day of her life, and I think she would do like, gosh, four or five hats a day. She would sit there and would donate yarn to her, and she would just knit hats, and she would knit hats for cancer patients in hospitals or for pre- premature babies. And one year she knitted 100 hats for me that I um, taught in Dorchester Public or in Boston Public Schools in Dorchester for uh, six years. And she knitted 100 hats for me to bring in for all my students. Um, she just, whenever you asked her how she was doing, she was just saying, I'm doing great for an old lady. You know, that was her answer every day. And she would just constantly think about what could she do for other people, not what wasn't going right for her. And, you know, for me that's like a big inspiration because – you know, it's really easy to focus on what's not going right in your life or what's limiting you. And instead of focusing on what limited her, she totally went the other direction. She was like, I'm not limited. I'm able to do this for people. And to me, that's like a a really significant source of inspiration because she wasn't looking for to be famous. She wasn't looking to, like, get a pat on the back. You know, she just, she really loved what she did, and she loved to know the fact that someone somewhere was going to benefit from the warmth she was providing them. Um, so mm. she was a really, yeah, she was significant. And um, another really big source of inspiration for me, um, this past Thursday I went to, so a week ago right before the marathon, I went to <clears throat> UMass Boston and listened to Catherine Switzer speak. So she's the first woman ever who ran Boston Marathon in 1967. <clears throat> and first of all, it's pretty amazing to think that women have only officially been able to enter Boston for 42 years. So this yeah, was that is pretty incredible. Isn't that crazy? 118 years of running Boston in only 42 years. And she was the first woman ever um, in 1967 to run it uh, unofficially. So she spoke, and she spoke all about how, you know, she entered and she was a junior at Syracuse University, and she really wanted to run. She was a great runner, but they didn't have a team, the women. So she joined the, man, the men's team and trained with them, and uh, she became good friends with the coach. Uh, this guy's name was Arnie. And she would train with them, and he kept talking to her about the prestigious Boston Marathon, and finally she was like, quit talking about it, and I'm like, I want to go run it. So, mm-hmm. of course, 
he said, like, all the old stereotypes, like, women can't run. I'm basically, like, women's, like, uterus would fall out. Like, all this, like, crazy stuff. You know, like, women aren't built to run. And uh, he's like, women aren't allowed. And she was, well, if I can prove to you in practice that I can run 26 miles, then you're taking me. So the next week, she proved to him they both run 26 miles. And apparently at the end, she's like, I want to run five more to prove it. They ran 31 miles in practice. And he's like, all right, that's it. We're going. So, uh, you know, they went and ran, and her boyfriend was with them, too. And apparently the, you know, Boston Marathon race director at the time was in a media truck behind her, saw her running, like jumped down, uh, literally tried to like tackle her out of the race and yelled at her, this is like an all-males race. And then <clears throat> her boyfriend and coach tackled the race director out. But obviously the interesting thing is since the media truck was right behind them, you know, the media truck captured all those pictures, which are, you know, very, very, very famous pictures now. We're on every major newspaper the following day. And she said, you know, during that race, I realized this wasn't about me. You know, she's like, I was setting the stage for women. You know, she was like, I was showing that we were, you know, a lot more powerful than people ever gave us credit for. And she's like, no matter how I felt during that race, I knew I couldn't stop. Because if I stopped, then that old adage that, you know, women can't do this would be pretty much set in stone. So, uh, yeah, she's just like an incredible pioneer, you know, and she's, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 2011, and she's been instrumental in getting the women's marathon to the Olympics. But just hearing her, you know, her whole thing was that, you know, you people will try to limit you and people will try to hold you back. But, you know, if you believe in your heart that what you're doing is right, then then you gotta then you gotta push on, you know. So it's it's just really cool to see these like different pioneers who, in their own different element, whether it's you know knitting a hat for a chemo patient or going out there and proving that you know, women can compete at the same level as men, those people really, they really inspire me. Yeah, that's really, she sounds like an amazing woman. I want to look into her and check her out. Yeah, she's really cool. So I know you do a lot of work with youth and youth empowerment. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure, yeah. Um, like I said, you know, sports, I've always felt that, you know, even when I was younger, so I always... um it's funny, like I did well in school, but I wouldn't say school came easy to me, you know. I um I was diagnosed with dyslexia when I was in high school, so, you know, there's different things, like I couldn't quite understand why it took me longer to learn or why things were challenging for me, but when I would go out and play sports, it was something that made me feel, like, comfortable in my skin, you know, and it made me feel like, all right, I can go out there and sprint up and down my yard, you know, playing field hockey, and, you know, I don't feel, like, limited, you know, and, uh, so I always kind of wanted to bring that to to youth because I, for example, so I started working in Dorchester when I was um, four years out of college. So I was working in Dorchester and, you know, not to anyone's fault, just kind of monetarily the way things were, there weren't really um, a lot of sports. So there wasn't a strong sports presence in the school. And, you know, we'd have between two schools in our building, say 600 kids, and you really couldn't feel, feel the girls' softball team of 10 students. And a lot of it was there just wasn't um, an understanding of who to go to as the coach. There wasn't an understanding of how you could qualify and where to play so that you had to have a certain GPA. And it would kind of like dishearten me all the time to see, you know, a lot of these girls who I could tell were great athletes or I could tell just wanted to do something that made them feel good, you know. And we just didn't have the sports and there were no gym classes. So it's kind of like these kids were just stuck all day. And, you know, I was lucky enough to team up with a – Nonprofit when I was um, maybe like four or five years into working there that was pretty much designated to bring more sports into the school. So I teamed up with this organization called Boston Scholar Athlete, 
and kind of pitched an idea to them that we need to be more proactive with our students so that they could actually play sports. And um, I worked with them to get like a $20,000 grant uh, back in 2010 to design more or less like a kind of like state-of-the-art tutoring center that gave kids um, the ability to learn to come in, like, how do I get, you know, 1.67 GPA in order to play? Who are the coaches? You know, we painted the room, like, all school colors and hung up pictures of, you know, the kids playing sports so they could see themselves, like, outside smiling, feeling happy, um, set up, like, a peer tutoring coaching model. So if a kid was struggling in English but they were really good in math, they were able to feel, you know, good that they were good in math and they could help another student and then they felt okay getting help in what they struggled with. So it just was it was a really powerful way to take the team aspect of sports into the academic setting. And it was maybe like one of the most powerful transformations I ever watched happen. So there were these kids who were, you know, pretty much gang involved and a lot of kids who um, were kind of on the verge of dropping out of school or, you know, hadn't really been coming to school. And as soon as they understood that I can play a sport, <laughs> I can be on a team, and I can do something that in my body I feel good about, all of a sudden they're coming to school. They want to sit in the front row of their, all their classes. They would stay after and get tutoring. They would come and help out another student in a subject where they felt, which was their strong suit, and they would get help in another subject. And it, like, changed the whole culture of, of the school, you know, in, like, a three-month period. So because that worked so well, um, we were able to replicate that model and develop those programs in, in 18 schools in Boston. So... I don't know, I just really love working with youth and being able to bring in the sports aspect because, like I said, I think it really shows people that they can bring their body and their mind together. So that was, um, you know, that was really fun to do. And then in the past two years, um, I started working with students who are visually impaired from Boston Public Schools and designing a yoga-run nutrition program for them. So I started that because... Um, I was a, a running guide for a woman who actually designed this program to um, help visually impaired students have more access to resources, which they maybe weren't getting in their academic setting during the day. So I was her visually impaired running guide, and you know we were talking about her program, and I was like blown away with the work she was doing. And you know she mentioned that there, they didn't really have any access to any like health and wellness programming. So I was like, well, right. Uh, Cheryl, you're doing this like, you know, you're a role model to the kids. If you're doing it, they're going to want to do it. So, yeah, the past two years I've been working with them. And last year and this year they've run the BA 5K, um, you know, the marathon weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know, it's, it's just fun. You know, I, I really love working with youth because I think the earlier you start to instill um, kind of these values of athleticism in them, you know, it kind of makes it um, a lifelong thing. And instead of, I think sometimes... And schools, a lot of times, sometimes it can be like it's an accessory, right? Or it's something that is forced on you or like you have to do instead of making it something that they want to do. You know what I think? And when you can bring in more um, more variety and, and show them more more avenues to how they can be athletic and how they can be healthy, then it's not like you're forcing it on them, but you're encouraging them to, to try different things. Yeah, very much so. Now, what are you excited about for the rest of 2014? Are there any projects you're working on, any races that you really want to That's a great run? question. Um, so, of course, I want to be 
be in the moment and not think too much, but of course I'm always planning things. So, um, yeah, I mean, I want to, um, a couple half marathons coming up and I want to, you know, run a, run a fall marathon. And, you know, my goal this year is to first break, you know, three or five in the marathon. And then, you know, my real ultimate goal is to, is to break three hours. And, and I feel like I'm, I'm on track to do that because like I said, I'm not just focused on the miles I'm putting under my feet, but focused on how to keep my body in, you know, in optimal health through making sure that I'm aligned correctly all the time, you know, and that I'm walking correctly and holding my body correctly. So I think that that's, I don't just think it's going to happen. Um, but more importantly than what's, what my, my personal goals are for myself, um, you know, I'm always thinking about how I can bring more value to to my community, you know. So one thing I've started working on, I um, so during the day I run a program for students who have dropped out of school in Somerville, Mass. So I work in a housing community over there. And um, a couple of things I really want to do, so again, I, you know, I look around and I see daily that there's, you know, a lot of health problems in that community. Um, and there's really no, I guess I'm really kind of like, programming there to to help them. So one thing I started working with is there's a teen shelter next to me um, for girls who had babies um, between the ages of like 14 to 21. So I've been um, collecting donations of, and my first donation was from Laura Alkin, who is an amazing yoga teacher in the Boston area. She donated a running stroller to me. So what I'm trying to do is create a program for um, teen moms and bringing in strollers so they're not just running by themselves but they're running with their babies so the whole goal is that to show them that you don't have to separate it and just because you're a mom you don't have to stop doing these healthy things but helping them to incorporate wellness into their lifestyle early on um so that's you know the project i've been working on and then i was really excited to be in my 300 hour teacher training program for yoga so i'm uh you know, really focused on developing more classes to help runners and help athletes um, to experience the same benefits that I've been experiencing by learning how to incorporate exercises that can make you, you know, an optimal athlete. And so that can make you someone who's not feeling injury. Because I think sometimes with athletes, we kind of go with the whole, and I used to hear this all the time, you know, no pain, no gain. So if you're not feeling pain, you're not gaining something. And I think that's hopefully we can kind of put that behind us and kind of focus on experiencing running and experiencing, you know, other athletic pursuits without pain because we definitely can do that. So my goal is to continue to learn and to develop more classes, um, really bringing in Johnny Giuseppe's bounce athlete curriculum so that I can, you know, create more classes so that athletes are, are feeling great, you know, and, and hitting their PRs and, kind of eliminating the idea that we, I think it's like 79 to 82% of runners um, are injured each year, which is, it's way too high of a statistic, you know? Yes, very much. Yeah, definitely. Well, please keep running on own listeners in touch with the exciting developments ahead of you. So to close up our interview, I have a few fun either or questions. Sure. Apples or oranges? Oranges. Mountains or oceans? Mm, that is so hard. Because I'm at the ocean right now, I'm going to say the ocean. <laughs> smoothies or juices? Uh, smoothies or juices? Oh, smoothies. Early bird or night owl? Night owl for sure. 
Great. Thank you so much, Nicole, for sharing your story on the Running on Ohm podcast. Thank you so much, Julia. Appreciate it. Um, thanks for listening to episode 37 of the Running on Ohm podcast with Nicole Bukowski, long distance runner, yoga teacher, and community organizer. Check out runningonohm.com for links to Nicole's sites. If you would like to help others find the Running on Ohm podcast, feel free to leave a review on iTunes. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a beautiful day.